It's up for debate on KLJXLP Flagstaff, KJAC 107.1. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m., where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. Every single Wednesday, we bring in a new guest to the show. Sean Clark joins us to talk about things on his site different things going on in the sports world and we have a ton to talk about today sean how you doing doing great first of all it's good to be back on this show after having to miss last week because yeah i happened to come down with a cold on went on wednesday and it was awful but i was able to get over that within a few days and be- back on the show and it's really good to be back. I really enjoy being on here, and let's get into what we got to talk about. And if you guys haven't already, check out Sean's uh, website at thecandyclark.com. You can also check him out on social media at thecandyclark. He posts all of his content, all of that kind of stuff, uh, whether it be sports stuff, NASCAR stuff, uh, music, different things like anime. He has a ton of different content on his website, so make sure to check it out. But I want to jump in with something that he wrote about just a couple weeks ago that we haven't really been able to talk about uh, so far at this point. And the dust is kind of settling um, at this point, but we know that there was a three-team trade uh, involving draft picks between the 49ers, uh, who moved up to the number three overall draft pick, the Dolphins, who moved to the number six overall draft pick, and then the Eagles, who moved down to the number 12 overall draft pick. So this was a big-time trade Uh, One of the bigger draft pick trades we've seen in the last couple of years. So I want to jump in and talk about the 49ers point of view. Because they're trading up seemingly to take a quarterback. If you're the 49ers, what is your thought process here as the team selecting number three overall? First of all, the San Francisco 49ers might be the single most interesting team heading into the 2021 season. Last season, they went 6-10. But the main reason they went 6-10 is because, well... Their entire team was basically injured last season. And midseason, they ba- they basically had a YMCA defense. The, their defense was incredibly banged up, and their offense, outside of Jeff Wilson and Brandon Ayuk, were all banged up as well. They were playing backups all over their roster, and they still scraped out a 6-10 and rec- record and still managed to pick up a, co- a couple decent wins uh, on, on the season. They... They absolutely routed the New England Patriots on the road. They beat the Arizona Cardinals on the road in Week 16, basically knocking them out of the playoffs. So the 49ers were very were a very interesting team, and that's on top of the previous year they were in the Super Bowl, and they led by 10 points over the Kansas City Chiefs in the fourth quarter before losing. So we we don't know what San Francisco we're going to get next season. Is San Francisco going to be healthy next season? What's their quarterback situation going to look like? But speaking of their quarterback situation, look, Jimmy Garoppolo can take the 49ers Super Bowl. He literally helped do that. Now, obviously, you can say, like, oh, it was mainly the running game, it was mainly the coaching. But the fact remains that Jimmy Garoppolo did start in a Super Bowl and helped lead the 49ers to the Super Bowl. That is still a fact. Okay, he did do that. You can diss Jimmy Garoppolo one, but he did that. He did do that. He had an amazing performance against New Orleans Saints in a key week 14 game that helped get them that number one seed, and then they were able to get to Super Bowl because of that. However, Jimmy Garoppolo is not a long-term solution at quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback, and I think that's farther than many people say. I think he's a good quarterback, but is he a quarterback that can win you a championship? Is he a quarterback that can carry your franchise for a decade? 
No. So San Francisco moved up to the number three pick, and they do have basically three options. Either you take Justin Fields, who's a very athletic quarterback that does have a very nice deep ball. You can take Trey Lance, who didn't really play college football this past year, uh, but has a lot of arm talent and is very mobile. A lot He has a lot of traits of Justin Herbert. Or you take Mac Jones, who played in a pro-style offense in Alabama, had a NFL receiving core, and does fit your stereotypical pocket passer uh, mold, kind of like Jared Goff. Like, Mac Jones is Jared Goff with a little less arm talent. That's basically how I see Mac Jones. So you have these three options to see if they can figure out who the long-term solution is at quarterback. Well, I, I obviously they are they have these three options. Sean, if you're the 49ers, what are you, what are you doing? What, who are you going with? To me, the answer is extremely obvious. Number one, you don't draft Mac Jones. I look as a New England Patriots fan, I want the Patriots to get Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones would be really good for the Patriots system. But Mac Jones would not work on the San Francisco 49ers. Why? Because Mac Jones is basically kind of like Jimmy Garoppolo. So why would you give up multiple first-round picks, which they gave up two future first-round picks, for a quarterback that, at his best, may just be a little bit better version of the quarterback you've had the last couple years? Now, there's Trey Lance, who could be like Justin Herbert. Here's why he doesn't work for San Francisco either. The Chargers was perfect for Justin Herbert because the Chargers have an air raid offense. A offense that pushes the ball down the field and they have a bunch, they have a lot of speed at wide receiver and they rely on the passing game uh, to to go down the field. That That's what the Chargers have been since they had Phillip Rivers as a rookie. Since LaDainian Tomlinson really started leaving the Chargers organization. So Justin Rivers proof of that. But for San Francisco... They're built on ground game. They're built on misdirection. Outside of Brandon Ayuk, they don't really have wide receivers that can go down the field. They're built on the ground. So having quarterback like Trey Lance would not work. However, Justin Fields, though, is is very interesting. Justin Fields is an extremely athletic quarterback. He has running back speed. But Justin Fields also has one of the best deep balls I've ever seen in college football. Look at some of his throws in the Sugar Bowl against Clemson. Those were absolute rainbows that landed right where it needed to be. And considering that he's six feet tall, hmm, there's another quarterback that's also very athletic, also has a really good deep ball. Hmm, I wonder who that'd be. Oh, wait, he plays in Seattle. His name is Russell Wilson. I'm not saying Justin Fields is going to be Russell Wilson, but he has a lot of those attributes. And here's the last thing I'll say about that. You have Raheem Oster in the backfield. You have Jeff Wilson, who Jeff Wilson looked really good as a running back last season. He ran all over the Patriots. He ran all over the Cardinals. Jeff Wilson was very impressive. You have Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel, who have a lot of speed at wide receiver. You have the second-best tight end in the NFL in George Kittle. Travis Kelsey last season proved he's number one, but George Kittle's number two. Darren Waller's three. So you have all of these weapons where you can use misdirection. Kyle Shanahan can be really creative with his play calling. If you bring in Justin Fields... Justin Fields can give you that speed. He can also extend the play and do whatever you need him to do. Justin Fields is the perfect fit for this system by an absolute 
mile over the other two quarterbacks. So that's why I think that Justin Fields should go to San Francisco. If San Francisco does not take Justin Fields, they are going to regret it for 15 years. They're going to regret it just as much as not taking Aaron Rodgers in 2005. I will say this, Sean, and it doesn't happen very much, but I 100% agree with you. I think Justin Fields is a perfect fit for the 49ers. If you get a guy like Mac Jones, sure, he fits the offense and what they've been trying to build, but how much better is he than Jimmy Garoppolo? That's still a big question mark and a big-time risk to take a guy who's that big of a question mark at number three overall. Justin Fields has the deep ball. He has the wheels. And and in the running offense that Kyle Shanahan has created, if you put a guy who has the ability on the read option that Justin Fields has, I mean, it is going to be a dynamic offense. And we haven't seen too much read option at the NFL level, but we have started to see it more and more with the likes of Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray playing out some uh, some of the read option. Obviously, it's been around for a little bit, but more and more coming around. Not to mention, that was the primary offense that the Philadelphia Eagles used the postseason that they won Super Bowl. Uh, Nick Foles, when he took over as the quarterback of the Eagles in 2017, the Eagles kind of ran the similar system with Carson Wentz. wasn't really working. He had a terrible performance against the Oakland Raiders on Monday Night Football. But in the playoffs, they had a whole week off to develop that read option, and then the Eagles' offense became unstoppable. So regardless if you have a mobile quarterback or not, you can use that read option. And I know that Kyle Shanahan has a lot of has a, has a lot of tactics and plays with the read option and with the fast quarterback like Justin Fields. There's so much you can do with that. All right, Sean. So the top five quarterbacks in the draft, I think, are pretty separate from the rest of the quarterbacks in the draft. So I want to get your take and your opinion. What is your ranking of the top five QBs in this year's NFL draft? All right. So I'm going to be a little controversial here. Not at the top, though. Okay. Trevor Lawrence is the number one quarterback, and anyone who thinks otherwise clearly did not watch Clemson. That's all I'm going to say. Trevor Trevor Lawrence is the number one quarterback, plain and simple. I don't need to say anymore. Number two, I, I do think Justin Fields is better than Zach Wilson. I, I do. That's a little controversial because in the last couple months, Zach Wilson really has become the consensus number two pick, which, okay, but I'm sorry, I said this in co- I said this in college, especially after the Sugar Bowl. I think Justin Fields is better than Zach Wilson. Justin Fields, in my opinion, has a better deep ball. In my opinion, Justin Fields can give you more with his legs. And in my opinion, Justin Fields is a quarterback that can work around systems. Zach Wilson has a lot of arm talent. At his pro day, he made some ridiculous throws. However, I think Zach Wilson's success will be more dependent on where he goes. Justin Fields, I think, can be successful almost no matter where he goes. I think I just think Justin Fields is a better all-around quarterback in the modern NFL. If this was 10 years ago, I'd say Zach Wilson without question. But because of the way the NFL is becoming with more emphasis on being mobile, not necessarily scrambling, but just being mobile, I think Justin Fields gives you more. Then, uh, then three will be Zach Wilson. And then four, I think, is Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance out of North Dakota State has a lot of promise, but I think that Trey Lance is the most volatile quarterback in, of the top five. Trey Lance can be really good like Justin Herbert, or he can be terrible. The reason why I say that is because Trey Lance is incredibly raw. He has the most room to grow out of any quarterback, and if he is in a system 
that does not benefit him, this could not end well. For example, if if Trey Lance goes to a team that is just in disarray, let's say the Detroit Lions, for example, that would not work out very well, I don't think. They they don't have Kenny Galladay, so they don't have the wide receivers to support him, and they don't have the offensive coaching staff to help develop his game. Trey Lance is gonna is gonna have to be a developmental piece. I think Trey Lance would excel in Denver. Denver, I think, would be a great fit for Trey Lance. It just depends on where he goes. And then Mac Jones. Mac Jones is basically a little bit less version of Jared Goff and Jared Gar- Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think that Mac Jones is a decent quarterback, but I don't think he'll ever be that franchise option that can carry your franchise for about 10 years. He, he's a good quarterback. He's he's basically a good a good transition quarterback, but as far as long term, I, I don't I don't think so. All right. Well, we do have a little bit of a difference in our top five. Uh, I, I, at the top, obviously, I, I agree. It's Trevor Lawrence. He is just the perfect quarterback mold. I mean, he can become something great if nurtured the right way. And if he's not nurtured the right way, he can be something good. I mean, I, I think his his floor is a good quarterback. Um, number two, I do have a little bit of a difference. I do believe Zach Wilson is the number two quarterback in this draft. Uh, I think his, his, his he goes through his progressions so smoothly. Uh, just I, I think more smooth than any quarterback in this draft other than Trevor Lawrence. He also has great pocket awareness. I know he doesn't have as much movement as just as as fields, um, but he he has a great awareness of of where the rushers are coming around him and he steps into the pocket really well. So I, I really like what he's able to do and I, I trust his arm. I mean, I trust his arm on all levels. He might have not have as crisp of a deep ball as Justin Fields, but I think he has a better short ball and a better medium ball than Justin Fields does. Uh, my number three pick is going to be a little bit more controversial, I think. I think Trey Lance is the number three quarterback in this draft. Now, I really do like the top four. I think the top four is very, very talented in this draft. Only reason I like Trey Lance to, to be the number three quarterback, and I don't think he's ready to play in the NFL at this point. I think he needs to get into a system where he can grow, uh, maybe sit behind a, a starting quarterback for a year and, and then get into it, which is something I don't generally say for quarterbacks uh, going in the top five or going in the top 10 or wherever he's going to end up. But I, I think he has such a high ceiling. His ability to move is just tremendous through his last season. Obviously, he did end up throwing an interception during one game that they played in the fall, but Last season, he threw no interceptions. That's an incredible stat line. Obviously, he did end up throwing one. So he threw one or two interceptions through his entire collegiate career. Obviously, wasn't playing the talent that the guys like Mac Jones, Justin Fields are playing. But I I think the tools that he have make him just such a unique talent. And I, I think he really fits the modern NFL. And the way the modern NFL is going is basing quarterbacks off of an Aaron Rodgers type of mold the ability to move inside of the pocket and and keep yourself alive while extending the play and letting quick wide receivers who just keep getting quicker and quicker do their thing. Um, and then number five or number four, Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is very good. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Justin Fields has a good ceiling and a good floor, but I don't think his ceiling goes quite as high as, as the other quarterbacks on this list. I think he can be a very good quarterback, but I don't see him developing into a perennial pro bowler. I don't see him 
developing into that type of quarterback. Now, he does have a really good skill set. He does have a ton of really good tools, but this is a very good draft class. Uh, I think it's even better than the draft class we had a few years ago with Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen at the top of the uh, – Sam Darnold, that, that list. I think it's a better draft class this time around. Now, Mac Jones, I like. I like what Mac Jones does, but I think he could have the ability to fade away after a couple years. And the only reason I say that is because he has good tools to sit in the pocket, but pocket quarterbacks are kind of being left behind in the new moving NFL. And with pass rushers being as quick as they are, if you don't have the ability to to get away and evade that pressure, which Mac Jones doesn't really have that. I mean, he does step up and and maneuver the pocket well, but I don't think he has the ability to outmaneuver some of these defensive ends and guys coming at him at the NFL level. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I also wanted to touch on your point about how this is a better draft class than the 2018 one with Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. Now, here's the thing. I think that Baker, I think that besides Trevor Lawrence, I think that Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen will be better than this draft class outside of Trevor Lawrence. But there's more good quarterbacks because if you look at the top four of that draft, you had Sam Darnold, which obviously we'll talk about him later in the show. But the other top four quarterback was Josh Rosen, and yikes, that that is the biggest whiff I have ever had in my when it. Like, I have had two big whiffs ever in my draft analysis. I thought Justin Herbert was going to be a boss, and I thought Josh Rosen was going to be a superstar. Those were my two big whiffs when it comes to quarterbacks. But I definitely agree that this this draft class is deeper than the 2018, but I still think that when when you look at... When, when you combine these two classes, that, like, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen will be two of the three best. Okay, understandable. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Dolphins' options at the number six overall draft pick. And we're going to talk about the weapons that this class has to offer. Stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports only on KJAC Radio. Now, me and Sean talked a little bit about uh, the top quarterbacks in the draft, what we think the 49ers should do with the number three overall draft pick. We both came to the consensus that it should be Justin Fields at number three. Now, we had a little bit of a different list, but not too different. We both have kind of the same uh, opinions on some of these quarterbacks. Uh, Now, I want to move on and kind of talk about the weapons, the wide receivers, the tight ends in this year's NFL draft. And... The Miami Dolphins, who moved down to the number six overall draft pick, have a good opportunity to get one of those weapons. So, Sean Clark, welcome back to the show. Uh, make sure to check him out at thecannonclark.com or at thecannonclark on social media. Uh, Sean, if you were the Dolphins at number six overall, what is your preferred option? Who is the preferred guy to get at number six? Okay, well, first of all, before I answer that question, we have to establish what's going to be available at number six. So the Dolphins basically gained an extra first and third round pick and traded down, traded down three spots, which I think is a pretty shrewd move on their part. You move, you only move down a couple spots in a top five that's going to be loaded with quarterbacks. So that means that basically if the top three picks are all quarterbacks, you're guaranteed one of the three best position players, non-quarterbacks left. So that's that's pretty good. And you got an extra first and a third, which is very valuable in the NFL. So, who will be available for them to pick? 
Well, the Cincinnati Bengals at number five need to draft Penny Sewell. To me, that is the... Now, everyone's talking about Jamar Chase to go Joe Burrow, but that would be a terrible idea because you already have T. Higgins. You have Tyler Boyd, who, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated players in the entire NFL. And you need protection badly, or else you see your franchise quarterback tearing his ACL again. So you need Penny Sewell. So that's what the Bengals are going to do for. And the Falcons at four could take Trey Lance if the 49ers pick Justin Fields or Mac Jones. Or a team could trade up to four, like the Denver Broncos, and get Trey Lance. So that means that the Miami Dolphins have a strong possibility of having the second-best non-QB available. And they could have, because the Bengals are probably going to draft Penny Sewell, they're going to have the best wide receiver slash tight end available in the draft. To me, there are two clear options with this this pick, but I will tell you which of the two I like better. In my opinion, Kyle Pitts is one of the best tight end prospects we have ever seen in the history of the NFL. He is a elite wide receiver that just so happens to play tight end. In my opinion, Kyle Pitts is, is, George, is George Kittle and Travis Kelsey combined. Here's what I mean by that. He has the, the speed of George Kittle, and he has the hands and the size of Travis Kelsey. The only reason I don't say he's George Kittle is because he doesn't block as well as George Kittle. George Kittle is the best blocking tight end in the NFL on top of being the second best pass catching tight end. Travis Kelsey is just that good at being a pass catching tight end, which is why he's the number one tight end. So Kyle Pitts is going to be a top 10 pick, and whoever gets him are going to love him. Just like, just like the New England Patriots. The San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs have loved their tight ends over the past decade. As a Patriots fan, I can tell you how fun it was to have Rob Gronkowski at his prime. My favorite athlete of all time for a good reason. And the Dolphins could take him and give a security blank for Tua Tagovailoa. However, I don't think he's the best option, though, at the number six spot. As great as Kyle Pitts is, as great as he would be for Tua, I'm sorry. Kyle Pitts would be good, but Devontae Smith would be the perfect draft pick at number six. And there are three reasons for this. First of all, listen, I love Jamar Chase. 2019 LSU is one of the most fun teams I've ever watched in my entire life. Jamar Chase is an excellent wide receiver, and whatever quarterback gets to play with Jamar Chase is going to love him. But I'm sorry, to say that he is the best wide receiver in this draft is ridiculous because I think it's easily Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith's route running is immaculate. Devontae Smith has great hands. Devontae Smith has breakaway speed. Oh, wait a minute. Devontae Smith also played with Tua Tagovailoa. Now, this is a very crucial year for the Miami Dolphins because last season, the Miami Dolphins went 10-6 and and they missed the playoffs, which is rare for that to happen, by the way. Why? Because in a loaded AFC, Tua Tagovailoa simply wasn't good enough to lead the Miami Dolphins to the playoffs and Ryan Fitzpatrick to start the season. So the Miami Dolphins need that long-term solution at quarterback. Now, Tua Tagovailoa was fine. That's the, that's the problem. He was only fine. He was very conservative, and he got benched multiple times because he struggled against some of the better defenses, including the Denver Broncos. Remember when the Dolphins went to Denver? They got shut out. It was embarrassing. 
So you have to attack Oval and needing to prove himself as a long-term solution because you cannot waste a great coach like Brian Flores, a great defense. You can't waste it. So this year, Tua Tagovola has a lot to prove now that he's fully recovered from his hip injury. So helping him out by giving him arguably his favorite target in college, the guy who caught the national championship winning play in 2017, and the guy who Tua Tagovola has a lot of chemistry with. If you can give him Devontae Smith, who, like I said, is a great route runner, has great speed, is a great deep threat, has great hands, that would mean that like Josh Allen last season, Tua Tagovola would have no excuses. I wrote an article for the Rich Report last year about how when the Bills got Stephon Diggs, there's no more excuses for Josh Allen. Look what happened. Josh Allen turned an MVP quarterback. Now, I'm not going to say that Tua Tagovailoa is going to turn to an MVP with Devontae Smith, but there's certainly a lack of excuses for Tua because, let's be honest, last year the Dolphins' offense didn't have the most amount of weapons. They were banged up. If you get Devontae Smith and Devontae Smith is as advertised, Time is now, Tua, to prove yourself. I I mean, I disagree, Sean. I think we got to give Tua a little bit more time. I think he should be much better next year. But I mean, we have to keep in mind, last season was his rookie season, and he was coming off of an injury that ended Bo Jackson's career. So, I mean, we got to give him a little bit of wiggle room. He didn't have the movement in the pocket. I think that was clear. He, he wasn't the same mover, and I think a lot of that came down to nerves. A lot of that came down to him not being used to the speed of the NFL game. And, I mean, coming off of an injury like that that, that put him in so much pain on the field, I, I mean, I think I think we got to give Tua a couple more years. But no, So saying that you, you think Devontae Smith should go to the, the Dolphins at number six, do you think De, Devontae Smith, if you were to, to rank the top four weapons here in, in, in the draft, I think it's the top four, I think, separate a little bit from the rest. Um, in my opinion, what w- what would you do that with? First of all, who would you because you have Jamar Chase, uh, Devontae Smith, and Kyle Pitts? Who would you say is your fourth? Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle, gotcha. And okay, and and you want to know where I would rank them? Yes, sir. understood. Okay, so I think Devontae Smith is number one. While I think Jamar Chase has a higher ceiling, I think Devontae Smith has a much higher floor, and I just think that Devontae Smith is the best all round receiver, in my opinion. I think Devontae Smith is the greatest receiver I have ever watched in college football. I have never seen a more complete receiver. And that says a lot because I have watched some truly... I watched Michael Crabtree at Texas Tech. That that was who I thought was the greatest receiver I had ever seen in college football before I saw Devontae Smith. Michael Crabtree was a, was on another level at college. And, and he was spectacular as well. And there was many other great wide receivers. Jeremy Macklin in Missouri was also amazing. And I could go on and on. But Javante Smith, in my opinion, is the best all-around receiver, and I think he is the perfect receiver for the modern NFL. He he can he can be that intermediary pass catcher, but he can also be that deep threat. I, I think Devontae Smith is fantastic. Now, Jamar Chase, I would put it three behind Kyle Pitts. I think that Kyle Pitts can be as good. I think Kyle Pitts can be a better Darren Waller. Darren Waller is a is the third best tight end in the NFL. Darren Waller is by far the Raiders' best weapon on offense, and Darren Waller has been instrumental in leading the the Raiders to a pretty good offense over the last couple seasons. But Kyle Pitts has more size than Darren Waller does, and he has just as much speed. If 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 Kyle Pitts goes to let's say the Dallas Cowboys, because there's a lot of rumblings that the Dallas Cowboys are going to go all in to trade up to get him. Oh dear. 
The Dallas Cowboys offense will be terrifying, but that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself. But it would be pretty remarkable uh, to see what Kyle Pitts can do in the NFL. So I think he'll be two. Jamar Chase is three. Jamar Chase could be a even better Deshaun Jackson when it comes to being a deep threat. Jamar Chase can stretch the field like no one I've ever seen in college. He he has such that elite breakaway speed, and he has great separation at the snap. He is quite phenomenal as, as a deep threat wide receiver, but he's not as good all around as a couple others. And then Jalen Waddle. Well, first of all, Jalen Waddle is coming off an injury. So there is that concern. He does, he does have that ankle injury. But Jalen Waddle also has a lot of speed. J- Jalen Waddle is also a great route runner. But you know what I like the most about Jalen Waddle? If he can recover from his ankle injury, he is going to rack up that yak. Jalen Waddle, after the catch, is just going to be incredible to watch once he is fully healthy. And I'll tell you this. There is a team that could really use a guy like him. That team is, if they don't take a quarterback, the Denver Broncos. If you pair Jalen Waddle and Cortland Sutton, polar opposite wide receivers, that's deadly right there. Jalen Waddle's for just because of his injury concerns, but Jalen Waddle, I think, will be a fine receiver. Line him up in the slot, and he will kill linebackers all game long. Yeah, and I'm going to say this. I think Devontae Smith is not only the best prospect in this NFL draft, as far as receivers go, I think Kyle Trask is a slightly better prospect. I've never seen a tight end play. Kyle, Kyle Pitts, you Kyle mean. Pitts, yes, yeah, excuse me. Uh, Kyle Pitts is, I've never seen a tight end play at the level that Pitts has played at. He looks like he could become a dominant force wherever you line him up. I mean, he hasn't even, like, I, I don't think he is limited to lining up from, from a tight end spot or the slot. I think you can put him outside. You can move him wherever you want, and he will get the job done. He's got great hands, great size, great speed. I mean, there's not much else you can ask for as far as a, a weapon goes. But Devontae Smith, I think he's the best wide receiver in not only this year's draft, but last year's as well. I mean, let's keep in mind on a team with some really good NFL draft picks, two guys drafted in the first round uh, in Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith was the leading receiver on Alabama with both of those guys on his team. Mm-hmm. He is that good, and he carried up that season with another great season. If a team like the Miami Dolphins can get their hands on Devontae Smith, I think it'll be great. I think at number six, if tra- or if Pitts is available, they got to go Pitts, in my opinion, for the Miami Dolphins. Pitts is just going to be a great fit for that offense. They brought in Will Fuller during the offseason. I think his speed is going to be really advantageous. And if they can bring in the size for that tight end position, bring in that red zone target alongside Devontae Parker, I think that'll be super dangerous. But if they do want to go Devontae Smith, I mean, no arguments here from me. I think Devontae Smith is a great wide receiver prospect. And throwing him into that mix of wide receivers would be a very, very dangerous miss with Devontae Parker uh, and then Will Fuller and Devontae Smith. That'd be one of the best wide receiver corps in all of the NFL. And, I mean, yeah, that would help Tua out a ton. Uh, so, yeah, I think Devontae Smith has really proven himself, even though he doesn't have uh, the size of Jamar Chase. He is a little taller, but he doesn't have the the physicality of Jamar Chase. Um, I don't think it really matters all that much. There's been some wide receivers that have thrived off of just their separation skills, getting a, getting off the ball with their feet. 
I mean, Devontae Adams has has really never had to be too physical off the line of scrimmage. Obviously, when he catches the ball, he's more of a physical guy. But I love what Devontae Smith can do. Um, so for me, it's Pitts, Devontae Smith, and then you go down the list to Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddell. Now, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the Sam Darnold trade as he is now a member of the Carolina Panthers. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. We are coming down to our final few shows ever on KJAC Radio for Up for Debate. Uh, thank you, Sean, for joining us all this time, all these Wednesdays. Uh, and if you guys haven't already, he's been on the show a ton. Make sure to check out his website at thecannonclark.com, social media at thecannonclark. Uh, he posts all of his stuff on there. There's a ton of content, so even if you're not a sports fan, there's stuff for you on his website. Uh, so make sure to check that out. But we only have a couple more minutes left to talk, Sean, in this week's edition of Up for Debate. So let's talk about the Sam Darnold trade. Sam Darnold has been traded to the Carolina Panthers from the New York Jets. It was pretty much an inevitability that it was going to get done as the New York Jets find themselves at the number two overall draft pick in a pretty good quarterback class. Uh, Chances are it looks like they're going to go Zach Wilson. It's not a sure thing that they are, but uh, things could change between now and then. But they're going to go quarterback. They're going to get a new replacement. So Sam Darnold was going to have to find a new home. Uh, and that home happens to be in Carolina. So, Sean, from Carolina's point of view, how do you like the fit with Sam Darnold? This is an extremely interesting trade. Now, first of all, the Jets had to do this. They're going to draft Zach Wilson with a number two overall pick. We already know this is going to happen. It's it's inevitable. The GM, Joe Douglas, basically even said that without saying so. And so now he goes to Carolina now. Well, now, now, what's the situation of Carolina? So what situation is Sam Darnold getting into with Carolina? Well, last season, Carolina went 5-11. and 11. However, 9 of their 11 losses were by one possession. The Carolina Panthers were a very competitive 5-11 and 11 team. There was a game against the Kansas City Chiefs where the, where the Carolina Panthers were 10 yards away from, from winning that game at Arrowhead against the undefeated Chiefs. They're, they were a team that, let's be honest, they were probably the most boring team to watch in the NFL last season. They weren't terrible like Jacksonville where you could just laugh at them. They weren't, they weren't a team like, let's say, the Indianapolis Colts who were in a playoff contention the entire season while being a bit more methodical. No, the Carolina was probably the most, most mediocre team in the NFL last season, and... I mean, I'll be completely honest, as diehard an NFL fan as I am, outside of their week one game against the Las Vegas Raiders, there was never really a game like, all right, I can't wait to sit down and watch the Carolina Panthers. No one said that last season outside of Panther fans. Let's be real here. No one really said that last season unless, like, their team was playing against them. But the Panthers do have a bright future. Matt Rule and Joe Brady have taken over this coaching staff, and they have a bright future. The Carolina Panthers basically had almost nothing but rookies on defense last season. And you had Jeremy Chin and Brian Burns really anchor that defense last season. Jeremy Chin had two fumble returns for touchdowns in 10 seconds in a game against the Minnesota Vikings last season. One of the wildest sequences and honestly an underrated game last season thinking about it. 
pretty crazy battle between those two mediocre teams. And on offense, well, you had Christian McCaffrey was out basically the entire season. And you had DJ Moore, Curtis, and Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson, which three solid weapons. But there was nothing about the Carolina Panthers that really stood out. But the Panthers do have a bright future. They have a good young coaching staff. Matt Rule is really starting to implement a culture change. Joe Brady is a good offensive mind, and their defense was very young. So obviously there's a lot of room for improvement there. And Sam Darnold is getting into a situation where he should be comfortable, and there's no pressure on him. There's no pressure on him in Carolina right now. Carolina is currently rebuilding right now. Carolina is a couple years away from competing. They're in a division with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. If you expect this team to do anything, you're, you're ridiculous, plain and simple. They're, the Carolina Panthers are in no position to compete right now. So Sam Darnold ha- gets a couple years to grow with this coaching staff. He gets a couple years to grow with, with these younger weapons and this younger defense. Sam Darnold actually gets a chance to develop. In Carolina, and that's something that he didn't really get a chance to do with the New York Jets. And here's another plus: he gets his favorite wide receiver back in Robbie Anderson. At the end of the 2019 season, the New York Jets went six and two, and Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson were pretty impressive. Robbie Anderson had at about 800 yards receiving, and and he was a dependable deep threat for Sam Darnold. And the Jets finished the season six and two. So the one time that Sam Donald really showed that how good of a quarterback he was was with Robbie Anderson. Now he gets Robbie Anderson in Carolina. He gets he gets a bunch of different uh, playmakers in Carolina to help him with. And because there's no pressure on Carolina, they're a couple years away from competing, Sam Donald finally gets to relax and just develop as a quarterback. And I'm so happy for him. I'll be honest, Sean. I think uh, his relaxation isn't going to be very long-lived. Uh, with the Carolina Panthers. He's got two years to prove himself before he has to go out and sign a big-time contract. The age 26 contract, that's a huge contract. I mean, for the Carolina Panthers, or for the New York Jets even, he really never showed that he was capable of, of taking it to the next level. Now, he showed flashes of talent. He showed flashes that maybe he could do it, but he never showed that he could do it. Now he's in Carolina. He only has two years to prove it. I mean, if he doesn't do it in the next two years, the Panthers are moving on. I mean, I, I think it's plain and simple. They're not gonna gonna go out and and go on a limb for a 26 year old who hasn't proven that he has that capability to to put a team on the next level. I think for Sam Donald, it's just another another chance to prove himself. And even though it it should be another or a shot for him to relax and and be comfortable. I think he's going to have to really prove himself as a Panther. He's, I mean, the clock is ticking for him, in my opinion. I understand that, but at the same time, like I said, the Panthers are in no true position to compete. I think as long as he shows promise, he should be able to get a decent contract. I just think that there's, there's no pressure because of the Panthers' situation. They're they're in division with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the best team in the NFL. They're in division with the Saints, who obviously are still going to compete at least for a playoff spot. At, at least. I don't know. I think that the Saints are going to take a pretty big step backwards the next couple of years. I mean, they're going to take a step back from being a divi- from a perennial 12-win team. But they're going to at least be a wildcard contender for sure. And then the Falcons, I think, depending on what they do in the draft, could be a very interesting team. So I just think that the Panthers are a couple years away. It's, it's, that's the benefit of being in a division with the Buccaneers. There's no 
there's no pressure. And because of how young the defense is, because of how young the coaching staff is, there, there. I don't really think there is that urgency right now. They're rebuilding. Well, yeah. I mean, there's not an urgency for the Panthers to win, but I still think there's urgency for Sam Darnold to have to prove himself. Because, I mean, like I said, two years is not very much time. And, I mean, the the with his three years with the New York Jets, he never really proved himself to the Jets. So he's he's got even less time now to do it for the Panthers, a new team that is already decently set up with good weapons, one of the best running backs in football in McCaffrey. They've got three pretty good wide receivers in DJ Moore uh, as well as Robbie Anderson. Um, and I, I guess uh, Curtis Samuel is now gone, so that's going to that's gonna hurt the offense a little bit. But I, I really do think that Sam Darnold, if he doesn't prove himself in, in the next two years as – and I, I'm not sure if that means a trip to the playoffs or not because five years without a trip to the playoffs would be a rough start to a career – I think it, it's the time is now for Sam Darnold. I, I really do. If he if he wants to to stick out his his career and, and make it a, another contract, not as a starter, uh, not just as a backup quarterback, I think these two years are are crucial for him. I I would agree. I think that he needs to show that he can that that he can show improvement. Because because all right, so let's use what let's use your hypothetical with two years. If he shows improvement between his first and second year, that's a good sign. But the biggest thing Sam Darnold needs to do is cut down on those turnovers. If he can be a quarterback that can, let's say, throw for 23 touchdowns and seven interceptions, that would be pretty solid. It wouldn't be spectacular. I wouldn't even say it would be great. But that shows that he is learning. And I just think that if he can have an efficient season where he has where he minimizes mistakes and be kind of the game manager quarterback for this upcoming season. I think the trajectory would be promising going forward. Well, and yeah, he should get better. There's, I mean, his running back last year was Frank Gore. He's going to have a much upgraded team. He's going to have a much upgraded offense. I mean, Jamison Crowder is a good number two or three wide receiver. He's not a number one guy. Not even close. Rashad Perryman is a good number three or four wide receiver at that. I mean, he had no weapons. So I'm going to give Sam Darnold the benefit of the doubt, but... On a new team with a new offensive scheme, he has a good opportunity to take advantage and get to that next step. And what is the who is the best safety blanket in all of football? I mean, in my opinion, it's got to be Christian McCaffrey. If you're going to be a quarterback who needs a safety option out of the backfield, where do you look? Christian McCaffrey, right? A dump-off pass. I mean, I think he is going to be a great piece that Sam Darnold has never had. Out of the backfield, yes, he is the best security blanket. I think the best overall security blanket in the NFL is Travis Kelsey. But out of the backfield, I would definitely agree. Christian McCaffrey, 100%. Yeah, understandable. Travis Kelsey was great as a safety blanket, especially during the Super Bowl when none of the other wide receivers were getting any space. He was right in that middle pocket ready to catch that pass. Uh, But that's going to do it for Up for Debate uh, with Sean Clark today. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about the NFL. Julian Edelman has retired I wanted to talk about that with you, Sean, but we're going to have to push it later into the show. Uh, but thank you for tu- or for joining us. Thank you for coming in, Sean. Make sure to check out his website, thecannonclark.com. Make sure to follow him on social media at thecannonclark. We're going to take a quick break. See you guys in just a few moments. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports. 
only on KJAC Radio. Now, we have a lot more to talk about in the show. Only a couple more episodes left for Up for Debate before I graduate and am no longer a member of KJAC Radio. But it's been a great couple of years here in KJAC, and we've got a great show to finish up. And I want to talk about Julian Edelman. Now, we already talked about Julian Edelman a little bit last episode, talking about how he was in the midst of being cut by the Patriots, and I was weighing his options, whether it be retirement or going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or whatever he really chose to do. Well, it ended up being that he was retiring, just couldn't recover from the knee injury that he sustained, and he wasn't able to bounce back. And, I mean, it was a great career for Julian Edelman. He had over 6,000 receiving yards He was a tremendous member of the Patriots for one of the longest stretches of time. He's won a bunch of Super Bowls with this team. He was Tom Brady's safety blanket for his entire career. So Julian Edelman did exactly what the Patriots wanted from him and more. I mean, nobody would have expected that this seventh-round draft pick who was drafted as a quarterback was going to be this good of a wide receiver. Now, he finished his career with 620 yards or 620 receptions, 6,822 yards, and 36 touchdowns. Now, he was also second in NFL history in receiving yards in the playoffs, right behind Jerry Rice. So, that's kind of the caveat to, to Julian Edelman. So, a big question that has started arising since Julian Edelman's retirement is the question of is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? And this is a question that I have to go back and forth with. If you just look at what he did in the playoffs, I think, yes, Julian Edelman is a Hall of Famer. But his 6,822 yards is really not all that much as far as Hall of Fame receivers go. Now, Edelman had a huge, big-time impact on the Patriots in a very important dynasty and won a lot of Super Bowls because of it. Even won a Super Bowl MVP, making one of the most insane catches that we've ever seen in Super Bowl history. And and let's not forget, we saw the David Tyree catch. So Edelman has cemented himself in NFL history. He has cemented himself as one of the greatest playoff receivers of all time. But what does that have to do with his regular season? Well, I mean, playoff stats are important. I mean, plain and simple, if you don't weigh the playoff stats and how players played in the playoffs when you're talking about the Hall of Fame... Why play in the playoffs? I mean, what's the point? The playoffs are the most important time of any play. So any games, the playoffs games are the most important. So I think you should weigh those even more heavily. Now, is Julian Edelman a first ballot Hall of Famer? The answer to that question is a resounding no. I mean, he is not a first ballot Hall of Famer. He is a Hall of Famer in my eyes. Now, sure, his yardage during his regular season career, 6,822 not the best. But what he was able to do during the postseason was absolutely incredible, and only Jerry Rice was able to put up the numbers that he was able to put up. Now, during the postseason, he had some seasons where he had over 300 receiving yards in a single postseason. He was one of the best postseason receivers that we have ever seen, and there's no doubt about that. Now, did he score a whole bunch? No. But he was a safety blanket. He was the reliable target that Tom Brady could go to whenever he needed. In 2013, he had 173 yards in the playoffs, 281 the next year, then 153, then 342, then nearly 400 yards in the playoffs. Julian Edelman in the playoffs was a different beast. And this kind of brings up a little little bit of a comparison for me. 
If Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer, if people believe that Eli Manning, who had a 500 record throughout his career, didn't win more games than he lost, and really was an average quarterback, had as many touchdowns as interceptions, if he is a Hall of Famer based on his playoff career and what he was able to do in the postseason, Julian Edelman is 100% a Hall of Famer for that same reason. Now, if they're going to keep Eli Manning out of the Hall of Fame, I think they should keep Julian Edelman out of the Hall of Fame. And I think that Manning has a, a spot in the Hall of Fame, but not for another 10 or 15 years. And that goes the same thing for Julian Edelman. But 10 or 15 years from now, when Hall of Fame voters are looking back, they're going to realize, well, Julian Edelman was part of this Patriots team that won how many Super Bowls? And he was the Super Bowl MVP. He had this good of a performance in the playoffs. Yes, 36 touchdowns is low. Yes, 6,822 yards is really low. Tyreek Hill, other guys in the NFL already have more than that. But Julian Edelman in the playoffs was a different beast. So first ballot Hall of Famer, no. Second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, I don't think so. I think it's going to take at least 10 to 20 years for Edelman to make it into the Hall of Fame, but it should happen one day. And and it's just the importance of, of him to this dynasty it is just way too much to keep him out. I mean, the only Hall of Famers really that are going to come out of this Patriots dynasty are potentially Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady, maybe Dante Hightower, but I mean, there's not very many. And when you look at a dynasty that had so much success like the New England Patriots, there has to be a couple guys that had those impacts. Yes, Randy Moss was a member of the Patriots for a little while, but he spent a lot of his career elsewhere and didn't have the biggest impact on the Patriots dynasty. As far as Patriots legends go, Julian Edelman was one of the best, if not the best player for the Patriots over the last 15 years. Now, Tom Brady obviously was the best, but as far as weapons go, Julian Edelman was Tom Brady's favorite. Him and Rob Gronkowski were number one and number two every single season. And without Edelman, I'm not sure that the Patriots had the same success that they had. Now, yes, I still think they are a Super Bowl team without Edelman, but I don't think they win the Super Bowl that he wins MVP. That catch that he made, not many people could have made that catch. Not many players in the NFL, not many people in the entire world could have made that catch. And he made that catch that put them into great position to win the Super Bowl. That is what Julian Edelman did throughout his career, and that's what he's going to continue to do, uh, or what he what he's going to probably continue to do as his career outside of sports. And we know he's got a bright future outside of sports. He's a smart guy. He's done a lot of talking for the Patriots. He's been a folk head for a long time, so he's got a bright future. But as far as the Hall of Fame goes, Edelman has a spot. But there's a lot of other wide receivers that are more deserving right now. Torrey Holt hasn't made the Hall of Fame. Reggie Wayne hasn't made the Hall of Fame. Let's keep in mind, Reggie Wayne is one of the top 10 receivers in, as far as receiving yards of all time, and he's yet to make the Hall of Fame. So making the Hall of Fame is not easy. So if Edelman ends up not making the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done, I'm not going to complain too much. I think it's a big thing to make the Hall of Fame. What his postseason career says about him uh, should say a lot. I mean, he did a great job in the postseason. He was one of the best postseason wide receivers we've ever seen. And let's keep in mind, we saw him at cornerback in an AFC championship game against the Baltimore Ravens in a three-point game with less than two minutes left. Julian Edelman was trusted to go out there and play cornerback. So the athlete that he was 
wasn't just limited to him as a receiver. He was also great in trick passes. He was great in trick plays like that. I mean, he has one pass throughout the the playoffs, and that was a 51-yard touchdown. So Julian Edelman is a legend when it comes to Patriots football. And, I mean, if you watched football for the last 15 years, you have to know that Julian Edelman had a huge, big-time impact with the New England Patriots. Now I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, we've got a little bit more NFL to talk about before the end of the show. I want to talk a little bit about the Jadavion Clowney signing with the Cleveland Browns. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. Thank you to Sean Clark for joining the show earlier. Make sure to follow him on social medias at the Candid Clark. Check him out there. He posts all of his content for his website there. So if you ever want to see what's on his website, see any of that content, you can check out through his social media. But we are going to talk a little bit more NFL. We've got some more NFL to talk about as the Cleveland Browns have made one of the final big fish in free agency no longer available. And that is Jadavion Clowney. Jadavion Clowney has signed a contract to play with the Cleveland Browns for one year. Less than $10 million, so not really a big market piece. Uh, Jadavion Clowney was going for a $20 million per year contract last season. He actually declined one from a very good team in the Detroit Lions, or in the, uh, excuse me, in the Miami Dolphins. And he didn't end up playing for... Uh, for the Dolphins, he ended up playing with the Tennessee Titans on a one-year deal, but he really didn't have the best season. Now, he only played eight games due to injury, but he only had four tackles for loss. He didn't have a single sack, and it wasn't a great season for Jadavion Clowney. So, coming back, he needs to get a new new start, and a new start with Cleveland is probably the best place that he could possibly go. Now, a big issue with Jadavion Clowney and his production is when he's double teamed, he's not been very effective. And he's been double teamed for a good portion of his career. Now, he had some success early on when he played for Houston uh, when there was a little bit more double teams going to J.J. Watt. So Jadavion Clowney had a little bit more success early on in his career, but he still never materialized into the type of player that he was generally supposed to be. Now, he peaked out at 9.5 sacks in 2017, 9 sacks the next year in 2018, but since then, since 2018, he has only had 3 total sacks. Now, he still has the ability, and he still can prove that he has the potential to be dominant, and this is the perfect opportunity for him to do it. On a Cleveland Browns defensive line with Miles Garrett. Now, Miles Garrett is one of the absolute best defensive linemen in all of football. He is an absolute stud, and even though he did hit Mason Rudolph over the head with his helmet, that has not slowed him down or deteriorated his ability to get to the quarterback. This defensive line next season should consist of Miles Garrett, Sheldon Rankins, Malik Jackson, and Jadavion Clowney. So Clowney shouldn't see all that many double teams as Miles Garrett is going to get a majority of those double teams. And Miles Garrett has proven that even through those double teams, he can still make noise, he can still be super super effective. Last year, he had a great season. He was one of the best pass rushers in all of football. He had 12 sacks, 
two passes defended, 15 tackles for loss. He forced four fumbles. So he was just an absolute beast on the defensive line for the Cleveland Browns. So adding another pass rusher to go opposite of Jadavion Clown or of Miles Garrett is going to be so much of a difference maker because I mean if we're talking pass rushers for the Cleveland Browns last year, Olivier Vernon, who isn't returning this season as a free agent, needed to be replaced. I mean, there had to be somebody to replace the productivity, and he brought in nine sacks. He was very quiet about it. Olivier Vernon, who's still available in free agency, is still a good quality pass rusher. Nine sacks last season. Jadavion Clowney should be more talented, should bring that same potential. And, I mean, if Vernon could get those nine sacks, if Vernon can get his sack number up to nine, Clowney should have no problem getting up to 10. I mean, he is the better player. He has a great tank. And on a new team, getting a a fresh start, he didn't really get that fresh start in Tennessee. uh, Had a couple injury issues. But in Cleveland, this is a playoff team. This is a team that should be competing for the playoffs. Obviously, they made the playoffs last season. Ended up beating the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round and then getting knocked out by the Kansas City Chiefs in a game that they were very close to winning after Patrick Mahomes went down with an injury. Well, The Cleveland Browns now just want to get better. Now they just have to keep adding new pieces, keep upgrading the pieces that they already have, and they've done that so far this offseason. Odell Beckham Jr. should be back next season. He was out all of last season with an injury. This offense should be revamped. Even though they uh, had a great offensive line last year, they're not going to miss any of those guys. They're still going to have that great offensive line. Defensively, they've gotten better. They signed their number one option in John Johnson in free agency, which was a big-time need. They needed a free safety. They couldn't get it done last season in, in the free safety department. Now John Johnson replaces. And Troy Hill's going to be on that defense as that second corner on the same side as John Johnson. And we know how much success that those two guys had playing on the same side, on the same side of defense. I mean, it was a lockdown side for John Johnson and Troy Hill. And remaking it in Cleveland is just going to be another upgrade. Denzel Ward is already a good number one corner. They made a big time upgrade. Now Jadavion Clowney gets that pass rushing ability up with Anthony Walker as their middle linebacker. This Browns defense should take a big time step forward. I mean, let's not sleep on Jadavion Clowney. Yes, three ta- or three sacks in the last two years, not very good. But what he's been able to do as a run stopper has been great. And with the help of Miles Garrett taking those double teams away from Clowney, Clowney should really take that step forward and be a difference maker for the Browns. Now, as far as other pass rushers go, there are a couple guys left in free agency. Like I said, Olivier Vernon is still available. He had nine sacks last season. He was very good last season, as well as Justin Houston still available. So the Ravens, who are looking for some pass rushers, the Colts, they still have some options to find those pass rushers, even though Jadavion Clowney is now off the board. Uh, But for the Cleveland Browns, this is a perfect move, a move that they needed to make, and they were close to making last season. So now that they bring in Jadavion Clowney, that defensive line is a a step up. Now, Olivier Vernon is good, don't get me wrong, but Clowney is just that much better. And as a run stopper, he is going to do a lot of work. Cleveland had some problems last season stopping the run, but with with Clowney, with Garrett, I mean, this defense looks like it's going to be totally revamped, and the Cleveland Browns could potentially end up coming out on top of their division. Now, I know that would be a bit of a stretch, but The only real competition I see in that division is the Baltimore Ravens. I don't trust what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing. I don't trust that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be 
anywhere near the same form that he has been. I think he's going to deteriorate, and he has been. He's been deteriorating. The run game is going to take a step backwards. So the Cleveland Browns can take advantage of this situation, and, I mean, they have the makings. They've got the running game. They've got the passing game. They've got the makings of a good playoff team. Bring in those pass rushers is just going to help. I love the way this Browns team is made up. This season, they're going to come out and surprise a ton of people. Now, I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about the NFL's offseason programs and what they are doing with some teams opting to not go through the offseason programs. So stay tuned for that. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. And make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports, only on KJAC Radio. And we only have a couple more episodes left for Up for Debate before the show comes to an end on KJAC Radio. So make sure to tune in to one of the final episodes of Up for Debate a show that's been going on for KJAC Radio for the last two years now. Now I want to jump into the next uh, the next topic, speaking about NFL offseason program. Uh, the NFL has kind of decided to change the offseason program a little bit uh, in response to the coronavirus. Uh, still, there, it's things are seemingly trying to get back to normal, but we're still not there. And players do not really want to go into minicamp right now or off-season workouts when there's a virus that they potentially could catch. Now, yes, players do have to be vaccinated before the start of the NFL season, unless they do have a religious uh, or a different type of belief that is legitimate. So for the NFL, they have made that and put that into this, but there's still a risk at this point. Not all the players have been vaccinated. There's still a lot of people who have not been vaccinated. So for a lot of people... They don't want to go in and risk themselves during these offseason programs, and it makes sense. But I want to talk about why these offseason programs are so important and how the NFL players really need to utilize them, even if they don't like them quite as much. Now, I'm not going to say that if somebody doesn't feel comfortable because of the coronavirus, that is up to them. That is their prerogative. But I will say that it does hurt these players when they don't go into these mini camps because they're not physically as prepared for the NFL season as they would be in a general NFL season. I mean, we saw last year there was no preseason. It didn't work. I mean, the players need warm-up games. They need to get their body ready for full speed. I mean, going from 0 to 100 is never going to work in the NFL, especially when it comes to these bodies. They need to warm up. They need to get ready to go at that full speed because once you start going full speed, you risk those injuries. You risk getting hurt. And if your body's not ready, you're going to get hurt. And that's what we saw last season. A ton of teams weren't ready. A ton of players just got hurt early on in the season because they weren't able to get warmed into the game speed. And the game speed comparatively to the practice speed is very different. Don't get me wrong. And there should be preseason games this season. I think last year we saw how big of a mistake it was to not have any preseason games. But the problem isn't just the preseason games. The offseason program also is a big part of getting ready for the preseason games, getting prepared with the team. And I mean, some teams are going to choose not to do these offseason programs. And some teams are going to choose to do them. Now, a lot of this is voluntary. The first phase, the first four weeks of camps is just going to be virtual meetings. And all of this is uh, voluntary except for the mini camps. 
And I think some teams have already decided to opt out and not do the mini camps. So a lot of this is very voluntary. The NFL isn't trying to force people into these workouts, but I mean, they know that these players need to get their bodies right. They need to get their bodies ready. And going from off season where you're not working out quite as much, you're not practicing every single day, day in and day out as a career, as a job, when you're resting and, and not doing that, you're going to have an issue once you have to get back to doing that. So getting worked in, getting ready for the NFL season is super huge. And for the first four weeks of the programs, it's just going to be virtual meetings, no on-field drills or work with coaches. Uh, I mean, there's going to be weight room opportunities and stuff like that, but that's all optional. The next phase in uh, the NFL's offseason program is going to be a week long. It's just going to be virtual meetings and on-field drills with coaches and no contact, no teaching pace. They're just going to be going slow. It's going to be saying, all right, this is what we do in this play. This is what we do in this situation. No physical touching. They're just going to be walking through what uh, is going to be going down in a lot of different practices. That's just going to last one week. Now, the third phase is four weeks long, and it's going to be the traditional OTAs. Full speed, no contact. Now, this is this is going to be very important. The no contact part of this is something to look out for because the contact changes. I mean, from no contact to NFL contact is a big jump. So NFL teams and NFL players have to make sure, like I said, their bodies are prepared, not just for game speed, but for game contact because getting hit hard it, it sucks. I mean, it, it just plain and simple, you're not going to have fun getting hit hard, especially if you're not prepared, especially if you haven't gone through the drills, gone through the physical work. And if the OTAs are not going to be with contact, which doesn't seem like they're going to be, these teams need to make sure that they prepare themselves for the NFL season. Now, the next phase and the final phase is going to be uh, the mandatory minicamp. And the minicamp, I think, is going to be one of the most important parts of this, getting sure that the team is ready. For young players who aren't going to be able to prove themselves and and make the team based off of their off-season workouts, based off of these OTAs, off of all of this, it's going to suck. I mean, plain and simple, the, the players who aren't able to have already proven their names are going to have a less less likely chance of making the team. And it's unfortunate, but that's just the way it goes when you have to have these these different circumstances when it comes to practicing and getting prepared for the season. I mean, yes, it sucks that they're going to be missing out on those opportunities, but it sucks more when players are getting sick and when people are dying, and and that's really what needs to be avoided. So the NFL making sure that that's avoided is, is a big thing to start with because, I mean, sports are important, but lives are more important. So the players, the coaches, they want to make sure that everybody – uh, comes out of this okay and I mean yes there are going to be some guys who don't get their opportunities who don't make those 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 chances because they can't prove themselves in those workouts they can't prove themselves as as a star player as as one of those undrafted free agents I mean we're going to see less of those guys this year and that's just a product of having to miss all these workouts not being able to be with your team now yes there are voluntary workouts and there are going to be some opportunities but Physical play is really what's going to prove that players should last and players should stick around in the NFL. And you can't prove that physical play in these practices. I mean, you just aren't going to be able to. You're not going to be able to prove that you can compete at the NFL level at full speed. So 
there's going to be guys who miss out on these opportunities and some veterans are going to make teams and maybe they don't deserve it. Maybe they're better off retiring or better off ending their careers, but some people are going to miss out and that's just going to be a factor and a product of, of this new system. But we have to deal with it until things are all back to normal, which is hopefully going to be coming up very soon. I'm going to take a quick break. When I come back, I want to talk about Jamal Murray and he tore his ACL. I want to talk about his impact on the Denver Nuggets and what we can see from them moving forward. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Up for Debate. I'm your host, Cade Reed. Thank you all very much for tuning in today. Make sure you tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. where I will be here live, bringing you the most debatable content in all of sports only on KJAC Radio. Now, we have a lot more to talk about on the show. Only 15 minutes to talk, though. As the Denver Nuggets star point guard, Jamal Murray, has torn his ACL. Now, the Denver Nuggets were a team that were coming up in the Western Conference and looked like they could potentially be a uh, playoff team, a championship-caliber team, one of the best teams in all basketball. Nikola Jokic, the MVP candidate, And Jamal Murray had a one-two punch, a two-man game that was nearly unstoppable. Now, with Jamal Murray going down with an injury, the Denver Nuggets are going to have to pivot. Now, hopefully Jamal Murray is okay. You never want to see a guy of his talent, his caliber, or really anybody go down with an injury like he did. Uh, But the Denver Nuggets, I think, are a team that have the depth, have the skill to bounce back. Now, yes, a bounce back will be very, very difficult. But for the Denver Nuggets, I think they have the depth. And I think replacing Jamal Murray is is going to be an issue, but not the biggest issue. Now, Facundo Campazzo has been starting at point guard while Jamal Murray was hurt before. I don't anticipate him being the starting point guard for the rest of the season. I think Monte Morris is better suited for that job. Yes, Monte Morris has been a great scorer off the bench. He's done a great job with that. But I do think Monte Morris is more valuable in that role. Now, P.J. Dozier has the ability to score off the bench that... Monte Morris has, so P.J. Dozier is going to have to step into a much bigger role. Jermichael Green, Paul Millsap, those guys are still scorers off the bench. They still have the ability. So if Monte Morris goes into that role as the starting point guard, I like his scoring ability. I like him next to Jokic, and I think this Denver Nuggets team still has a chance. Now, the starting lineup, the guards will be where the Nuggets struggle. I mean, that's just going to be where it is. Facundo Campazzo, Monte Morris, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier, that's what those guard unit is going to look like. Obviously, Shaquille Harrison just got brought in uh, as, a cha- uh, as, an, as a free agent, so he could potentially have a much bigger role. Um, he's been good in some of his time uh, with Chicago and Phoenix early on in his career, but he really hasn't been able to develop into a real good starting point guard. Uh, but this is the best opportunity for him to do it. He's got good size, so defensively, he may be able to step in and take over that role. Uh, but offensively, this Nuggets team is going to sh- struggle. And, I mean, with Will Barton as that third or fourth option offensively, he's going to have to step up. But the guy who's going to have to take the biggest jump, the biggest leap, is going to have to be MPJ. Now, Jokic is already playing at an MVP caliber level, averaging 26 points, 10 rebounds, 9 assists. He's playing absolutely incredible. And Michael Porter Jr. has taken a big-time step forward this year. He's been super efficient scoring-wise, 
but he's going to have to step up into that number two scorer because Jokic can't do it all. And yes, Jokic is going to take a little bit more of that burden. He's going to take more shots. He's going to have the offense more in his hands, but he's not going to be able to have all of the offense uh, capable for the Denver Nuggets. So Michael Porter Jr., who is in his third NFL or NBA season, has the potential, has the opportunity to really step up into that role. Now, he's shooting 53% from the field, 42% from three. He's been very good this year, averaging 17 points, eight rebounds a game. Now, as a ball handler, he's not great, but MPJ is a great shooter. He's great as a scorer, and the Nuggets are going to have to rely on him a ton to really step up into that scoring role. Now, since uh, Jamal Murray was hurt the last week and he wasn't able to play until this most recent game in which he tore his ACL, MPJ has really stepped up. He had 25 points against Detroit, 18 against San Antonio, and then 22 the next day against San Antonio. He's been able to keep his point scoring up above 20, and if he can continue to do that, Aaron Gordon has the ability to step up and be that third scorer. Will Barton as well, both averaging about 12 points per game. So they have other options. But are they going to be good enough to beat the LA Lakers? That's a big question. Now, they replaced their defensive uh, forward with Aaron Gordon. So Aaron Gordon is a big-time upgrade there. But their point guard is going to take a big hit. But I think Monte Morris still has the ability, still has the scoring chops to, to ball handle and to play well on that starting unit. I am worried, though. I am worried that outside of Jamal Murray, there wasn't a great ball-handling point guard. Monte Morris, obviously the next best guy up, but Facundo Campazzo, he doesn't have much size defensively. This Nuggets team, when they match up against the Lakers, they're going to have to lean super heavily offensively on Nikola Jokic and MPJ. And I'm just not sure if Jokic and MPJ can outmatch and outmuscle LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Now, the depth for the Nuggets, even though... Jamal Murray did go down with an injury, is going to be way better than the Lakers. I mean, it's just a better, much more deep team as far as the Nuggets go. They have Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Monte Morris, Paul Millsap, Jamichael Green, P.J. Dozier, Facundo Campazzo, JaVale McGee all coming off the bench. So their bench unit is strong, and they have guys who can step up on any given day. It just comes to the fact that Jokic has to carry that big of a burden. Now, are the Nuggets a defensive a good enough defensive team to beat the Lakers? I don't think so. I think offensively the Nuggets can keep up, but defensively without Jamal Murray, they're going to have a hard time slowing down Dennis Schroeder. And Jamal Murray has really taken a step forward defensively this year, averaging one and a half steals, less than a half of a block, but he has taken that step forward. He doesn't get into foul trouble all that often. So he's been a big time piece for this Denver Nuggets team. I just have an issue watching that matchup between the Lakers and the Nuggets because I think it's going to come down to what team can beat the Lakers and what team can beat the Nets and that team is going to win the NBA championship and if it's the Nets who have to end up beating the Lakers or vice versa the Lakers beating the Nets then that's going to have to be how this NBA season comes to an end but if the Denver Nuggets can't get through the Los Angeles Lakers there's no chance that they win the NBA championship and Jokic Without Jamal Murray, doesn't have that two-way game that he's used to having. So 
the Nuggets are going to take a step backwards. But this isn't going to be the worst thing for the Nuggets. They still have all of their main players under contract. Yes, MPJ is going to get more expensive soon. Yes, Aaron Gordon is going to need a new contract soon. But if they, they can keep the band together and keep this core together, they've drafted really well. They've done a great job bringing in core pieces, uh, veteran pieces like Jermichael Green, like Paul Millsap to really bolster their, this lineup. So I think the Nuggets might be done for this season, but I don't think they're done forever. I don't think that they peaked at the Western Conference Finals last season. They have the opportunity to take that step forward next season with a healthy Jamal Murray. But that's going to be the end of Up for Debate today. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Make sure you tune in next Friday because that's going to be the next show at 1 o'clock p.m. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Also, make sure to tune in tomorrow at 3.45. We have a another um, baseball game between Coconino and Lee Williams, so make sure you guys tune into the baseball game on Thursday at 3.45. That's tomorrow, 3.45. Will and Sean are going to be on the call, so make sure you guys tune into that then. But that's going to do it for the show. I will see you guys next time.